0: What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to another episode of Mr. Benfica. This is episode 140. I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agostinho here. As always, a special hello to anybody watching the video format now available on the PTV Media Network's YouTube page as well as on Twitter uh, and on my Facebook page. But um, go to the PTV Media Network's YouTube page and subscribe. That's where Mr. Benfica is going to is going to air in video format from now on, this season, and hopefully from now on, as uh, as I slowly merge all these projects into an actual network, which is something I always wanted to do. How's everyone doing? The season is underway. Um, I'm back from vacation, so I had a great vacation, I have to tell you. Um, I'm also back from, from a tour date last weekend, which was an adventure, and um, I will be up most of the rest of the night and probably the rest of the weekend editing all the video footage I got and putting it into one one little short film for everybody to see what was uh, stop two of the Parking the Bus tour, summer, uh, summer 2022 stadium tour when I went to Philadelphia and was supposed to go to Washington, D.C. last uh, weekend. I did go to Washington, D.C. I didn't get to the match. I didn't get into the match. That's a, a mystery that I guess can be revealed in the video when it comes out. But like I said, I'm going to be locked in this basement probably for the next 36 hours. <laughs> Other than to sleep to, uh, to edit all that. But for now, for the next hour or so, we are talking about Bainfica, Spotted Leash, of 2022-23. Underway, two matches, two victories for Roger Schmidt so far in official competition Oh, did I mention that in preseason, five matches, five victories for Roger Schmidt? No, it's not about the results in preseason, but it was about the way that those matches were won and the way that the team was playing. Also, it was also about a way where preseason was organized in a manner we're not used to. And a lot of people were already critical of the manager. Oh, he took too many guys on preseason. Oh, what's he doing? Oh, he... I'm going to address this probably in this episode, unless I forget because I'm very absent-minded at this point. Uh, it's very late at night here. But um, a lot of people don't get it. I, I want to be nice about this. I don't want to insult anybody. A lot of people don't get it. This is Roger Schmidt. This is not George Azuz. This is not Sergio Conceição. This is not Ruben Amorim. This is not Bruno Lage. This is not, insert your favorite Portuguese coach, José Morinho. This is not... Anybody you're used to. He is not doing things the way we are used to. When we hired a German manager, it was to change things. And that's what he's doing. And all people were on board. But as soon as, oh, oh, how can how can Enzo get off a plane yesterday and go into the starting lineup today? Because the manager is following a plan. That's why. That's how. He don't care what you think. He don't care that you think that you can't give a player that type of privilege. I don't know, whatever word you want to use, that he can just arrive and go right into the starting lineup. Well, guess what? It was a preseason match, and it became very clear why he went right into the starting lineup because those were the 10 guys he was going to play with, and those are the 10 guys he started with in both of these both of these official matches, these, these competitive matches. It would have made zero sense to play him in that second unit. Of course, you have to understand what the manager is doing first before you can understand that. And admittedly, that early in the preseason, I don't think we at all understood that he was playing with essentially two teams the entire preseason. Roger Schmidt explained this after the Ozebu Cup, okay? After the Ozebio Cup a victory, Benfica finally wins that trophy back after a decade. I know it hasn't been played Every year or even close to that. Um, It's been skipped many years. But it's about time that that trophy comes home to the Stade of the Luz. And uh, beating Newcastle in that one. But Roger Schmidt explained. And his explanation was perfect. And anyone with any type of coaching background understands what he said here. And he speaks plain English for us. So for those of us here on this side of the world. Or on the other side of the world. Shout out to. To My listeners in Australia, you're not on this side of the world. You're on that side, but uh, we speak the same language. We have the pleasure, unless BTV, of course, speak over him with the translator, which is a little bit annoying, I have to say. Um, they should translate when he's done, not in the middle of his sentence, because that's – I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I find that so distracting. I don't end up catching what he says in English or what the translator says in Portuguese, because they just kind of jumble together. Um but, what I was saying was this manager does things differently. He explained in the post game presser after the Ozebu Cup that once the season starts and once you're playing every three days, and this is a, another congested season, another condensed season where you're gonna play a lot of matches in a short period of time. Of course, we have a giant break <laughs> once November hits, we're going we we got the World cup and. The league is this. This is essentially this season going to run like a South American season. You're going to play your first half of the season and then you're going to go away for a while and then you're going to come back. And it could be all different. You know, the teams could look so much different by January. We don't even know. Um, But, you know, he explained. Okay, um, he explained that he's. He's training them hard because this is the only part of the season where you can train properly. And he and his staff have value have evaluated the situation and made the judgment call, and that's what they're paid to do. That it was more important for players to be fit for training than to be fit for matches in the preseason. And there because and, and that makes sense, and I agree with this. I wouldn't have had the force, you know, the foresight to think. To, to, to plan it out this way. Um, so I'm, I'm very impressed by his him and his staff's uh, work because once it's explained, it makes complete sense. He wanted players fresh to train because the training was that important. So everybody played half a match. So in every preseason match, we saw one unit take the first half, one unit take the second half. Now that's not the way any of us are used to seeing preseason football. We expect that with each game, the starting 11 will play more and more and more and more. And that didn't really happen until the second half of the Ozebu Cup. And that was a training exercise at that point. It was a fitness uh, exercise in which he left tired players in so they could work on a little bit of their fitness. and And learning to think fast and learning how to play when you're tired in this style of game, okay? The most noticeable thing is the much higher pressure we we apply. We play even when we're not pressing. This is what impresses me. And this is why I'm not. I'm quietly more confident than I thought I was going to be. Okay. And what I'm really impressed with right now, because this doesn't take a ton of of energy to do, but we're doing this. Okay. It's one thing to press and to press high and to press, you know, hard and to try to force turnovers. We can't nobody can play that way for 90 minutes you hope that you can play for it longer and longer and longer as the season you know as the season increases as as the athletes you know performance improves and as they get closer to their peak as we say because we want our athletes peaking at a certain part of the season and that's not in week one certainly not in week one um and that's all stuff that the physio staff you know is, is gonna keep track of they're tracking all the time and they're always watching these these uh, heart monitors they're watching the, these players you know um they're watching their you know their resting heart rate and things like that and when they do, they're not meeting certain metrics you know they're done they're pulled out of training because the, because the science has shown that they're no longer getting what what is intended to be got out of training when your body's no longer performing at a certain level so This is high-performance training. This is not something we have a lot of in Portugal. We have a lot of (laughs) old-school mentality coaches who do a good job at that mentality. No question about it, there are Portuguese coaches in every corner of the world doing a fantastic job, more or less with the same methodologies. Roger Schmidt has different methodologies. Some people... Again, I don't want to insult anybody. I appreciate anybody that reads any tweet I put out, that reads any posts, anybody that listens to any of these podcast episodes, that watches these videos. But I'm hearing a few things over and over and over. I'm hearing that we don't have the wing play we want. I'm hearing that we don't have a 10, that we don't have a six. Guys, This system doesn't use any of those things. Understand that the manager is not looking for a 6 in this system. Understand that the manager is not looking for a 10 as we know it. Rafa Silva is playing as the quote-unquote 10 because he has the breakaway speed. And if you notice what Rafa's been able to do, and and I am pleasantly surprised that Rafa Silva is still on Benfica. I've been a big Rafa guy. You guys know that. I, I took so much heat from some people last year. When I when I you know praised him for that goal against who was it? Was it Ishtariel or was it I don't remember who it was against where he took it the length of the field on a on a counterattack, dribbled the entire team and scored. I understand that he was not good last season. But even when he's not good, he factors in results. Roger Schmidt has noticed that he can do something that nobody else on his team can do when he has played in the right position. JJ played him in that. In that spot, in that false 10, if you want to call it that, for quite some time last season. And then he stopped. Okay? He stopped. And honestly, Rafa Silva is the most dangerous player. And he is at his most dangerous in that role, where he's free to move. He has been relieved of all defensive responsibility. Okay? I can't even tell you how much better of a team we are with him doing that work as opposed to I'm not even going to say the name of the person I was going to say because I ain't saying that name anymore on this show. When he leaves, I will say au revoir and that's it. And I hope he leaves soon. But (laughs) there's a, you know, I see the criticism for João Mario and João Mario was injured today. So I'm going to start with that. I have an update. Uh, This is courtesy of Ebola, and this is as of 23.06, so 11.06 p.m. Portuguese time. Okay, so this is a good five hours ago, five, four hours ago. Um, And Roger Schmidt did say that, as I translate this, um, he recognized, it says, Roger Schmidt reconciled que João Mario So, uh, Roger Schmidt has recognized that João Mario may not be up to the task, may not be fit for the match on Tuesday in Denmark um, against Michelin, which will be the second leg of the Champions League. And I don't see why we would risk him in that one with a three-goal lead. Um, If he's fit, then I would say he travels and he sits and hopefully won't be needed. Um, but he, I've been watching him. Okay. Today was the first match in four in a row. Okay. After four matches, Joe Mario picked up an assist off a set piece. People don't notice this. People don't, don't like this. Okay. People are watching everything except what actually happens in the match. Joe Mario was, was pulling strings. Okay. Dromadio is not playing the 10. Dromadio is not playing as a winger. Okay? They line up a certain way on the pre-match sheet. Yes, but they don't play that way. Dromadio and Rafa are playing a very interchanging game of interchanging roles where one goes central, one goes left. A lot of the time, that's where you'll find the two of them, changing between those two positions. And I apologize. I'm using a handheld mic right now because I've got a bunch of stuff on uh, on backorder. order. That I am still waiting from, for. And uh, I don't have it yet. So this is still kind of a makeshift set. Um, hard to say after 140 episodes. But I there's still a lot of stuff I need. And um, it's not cheap. So I'm getting one thing at a time. And while I wait for some other things. Um, this handheld mic is, is all I got. So um, going back to, to, to Rafa and to João Mario. Okay. They are sharing the role of the 10 and the left center midfielder, if you will. They'll make runs into the into the flank, but that flank belongs to Grimaldo. If you're watching how the team plays, the, the wing, as we call it, doesn't exist in this system. It's done by the backs. They're, they are true wing backs, Gilberto and Grimaldo or Ba, whoever comes on. They are true wingbacks. They are responsible for the wing. So it makes n- no sense to go buy wingers that are not going to play in this system. Okay. What we need in a Roger Schmidt system, and I think we're getting this, is players who can do more than one role because that's what they're going to be asked of. Um, so João Mario has a bruise, and it sounds like it's in his ribs, from a shot from – not a shot, but it looked like a knee to the ribs – um it didn't look all that bad you know when you watched it in live, but but anyone who's ever taken a knee to the ribs knows how fragile that part of the that part of the the torso is, that part of the body, and knows that uh, how painful that can be when you have a bruised rib. So Joel mari was substituted out. That's the update on him. Again, um Roger Schmidt is not looking for what you call a 10 and what you want to see okay I said this I've said this on social media I don't know that I've said this on the podcast yet but I'm gonna say it now I'm gonna say excuse me for a moment I'm gonna say that we need to get used to watching this team play this way we need to get used to watching Roger Schmidt's teams play his game, not ours, not what we're used to, not Manuel Mota's game, not not uh, name any middle-of-the-road uh, Portuguese manager that we're used to seeing. Not Jorge Jesus, not that he's a middle-of-the-road manager, but not him. It's not even Bruno Laj's game. This is different, okay? This is different. It's not Nelson Verissimo's game. This is something we're not familiar with, that we, we watch – and we're all excited about the offense we we, we uh, generate. But then we think that he needs to go get another left back. A defensive left back, a traditional left back, is not going to function in this system. The reason Grimaldo is still here is because he functions in this system and because we can't get the, the price we want on a transfer for him. But... The big reason he's still here is because he functions in this system. On the other side, you got a Gilberto who will run th- headfirst through a wall if the manager asks him. Every team needs a Gilberto. Yes, and man, has he won us over. I, I, I don't know that I can think of a player who has had that type of an arc to which he was despised when he arrived, when we first saw him play. So many people wrote him off, said he was garbage, said that he – couldn't do this he couldn't do that here we are i don't know a year and a half later whatever it's been and we're singing his name every game this is gilberto we're calling him gilberto carlos i'm seeing the photoshop out there people putting the real madrid kit on him slow that down okay gilberto is the type of guy we need in our locker room he's the type of guy that is moved by competition okay we bring ba in Ba's a very good right back. It won't shock me. In the least, when he becomes the starting right back, I think it it could happen. And I think it will happen in a matter of months ahead of us as he adapts. But you know that Gilberto, if he loses that spot, is not going to lose that spot. He's going to continue to fight for it. And he is going to make Ba play his best football to keep his spot. This team could use two or three more Gilbertos, if you ask me. Now we talk about the—I'll get into the games in a minute—but we talk a lot about the transfer market, and everyone still thinks we need to go shopping. And while I'm not saying I'm not saying we shouldn't go shopping, but I'm not in favor of just going to spend money for guys that fit these profiles that we don't need, aka a six, aka a ten, aka you know. An outside mid. We don't need these guys. We don't if one is available that makes financial sense, then yes, go get him. Do not go breaking the bank. Do not go searching and trying to make out of a player something that he's not like we've done in the past. We brought in David Nesh. Now this is an upgrade and a half from Everton Sobolinha. And I'm sad that that my prediction and my, uh you know my prediction of Everton Sobolinha never came through. Never came true. He's not the player he was when he arrived. I've watched him, you know, try to integrate into the Flamengo side in the Brasileiro, and he's not doing any better than he was doing at Benfica. He really has lost his form coming to Benfica, and probably by, um, you know, it's hard to say. But he's he he had it for for a minute at the end of the season in uh, what was that twenty 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 one. Yeah, in 2021, in JJ's first season back, he found some form at the end of the season, but he never really regained it the following season. And he's still struggling to regain it. So I'm sad that it didn't work out. David Nerg is exactly what I thought Everton Civilino was going to turn into in time. Um, and he's just more adapted to the European game. You can see it. He's He's got more power, more, more speed. He's not so side to side. He can play the side to side game with the ball. But if there's space to attack, he attacks it. I like that about him. Um, he beats players on the dribble. we It's been a long time since we've had a guy really beat players on the dribble. And you know what? With the style we play, he's also not being asked to do a whole lot of defending. And I think my original point I was trying to make uh, a while back was that what I do like to see what most impresses me is not the pressing, but it's when we're not pressing, we're still playing in the middle to attacking third of the other team. We spend a very, very little time in our end of the pitch. And I like that. I've always said that this is possession is not, is not, you know, a barometer of much territory. On the other hand, I think tells a whole different story. And when you possess, in key territories, now you're dominating the football match, and that's what Benfica's been doing. Even though both uh, both Tuesday's game and tonight's game should have been much wider margins, we should have scored many more goals, and that does give me a little bit of concern. But at the same time, we had a preseason in which all of our all of our forwards scored, and. How many how about these goals we're getting off crosses this season? This is something this team could not do for the life of them just three months ago. Deliver a cross and head it in. Now it can be Hamush, it can be Aruju, it can be Yarmachuk, Yarmuchuk, Yarimchuk, excuse me. After three seasons, I gotta start saying his name right. It can be Musa. I haven't seen Peter Musa yet, to be honest with you, other than in I think a little bit in, in one of the preseason matches, but But those three, Hamush, Yarimchuk, and and Araujou, are getting on the end of crosses and finishing them for the most part. So I'm really impressed with uh, that aspect of it. I talked about Joel Mário a little while ago. His delivery on set pieces have been a huge step up from PZ. No question about it. All due respect to Luis. Luis Miguel Afonso Fernandes, also known as PZ. always gonna have a spot here. PZ. always gonna be part of this of this club. Always gonna be part of the history of this club. He has gone. He's gone to the Middle East. Um, I wish him well. Obviously, I I I hope. I, he's one of these guys. I hope to see in MLS someday. I really would like to see him play in MLS. I think he could be a really really. Top of the line MLS midfielder, and uh, he could earn himself some real good money and not be in the Middle East. But um, <laughs> I digress. Mário um, is an upgrade on PZ, on the dead ball situation. Mário has found Gonzalo ramoss head three times in this preseason. Okay, um, if you count, if you count, well, not just in the preseason, but if you count the Michelin game, okay. Um, Romario has his role in this team. I know a lot of people don't like him. Again, what we need to do, remember something. okay? We talk about how these players, <laughs> I laugh when I hear that Benfica can't compete with Romario in their midfield. Benfica can't compete with Gonzalo as their striker. Or with Florentino, another guy getting battered by some people. Absolutely getting battered by some commentary. The guy's playing lights out right now. Florentino is one of the pleasant surprises of this season for me. And I'm not going to be shy. I will be a cheerleader of Florentino Luigi, no question about it. I have been since day one, since I watched him play in Befica B and before that in the UEFA Youth League, okay, and in the youth national teams. I will always be rooting for, for Florentino Luiz. And don't tell me we can't win a championship with Florentino Luiz in our 11. We already did. How short people's memories are. And again, stop judging him like a six. He's not playing the six. Him and Enzo are playing a much more, a much more fluid, you know, positional game with each other. Okay, in which they're covering space together when one's here, the other's there, and vice versa. This is not 1984. This is not a traditional number six. Stop judging players by what you think their job is. Study the game and learn what their job actually is. Listen to the manager when he critiques these players and says what they're doing well and what they're not. These players don't play for us, so to speak. Okay, And what I mean by that is we are not the coaches. They're not pleasing us at the end of the day. Their boss is Roger Schmidt, and they're doing what Roger Schmidt asks of them. And clearly, the ones that are doing what he asks best are the ones that are playing. So don't tell me we can't win with this team. We're scoring goals, okay? If we continue to score goals like this, I don't care who you put in front of us. In the Liga Portugal, we are going to win a lot of games, and we're not going to lose very many scoring like this, okay? Yes, listen, no one loves a clean sheet more than me, and I don't like how many goals we give up playing this style. That's my one knock on. It's not a knock. It comes with it, okay? But again, I'm not the manager. It's not about what I think. The manager's playing his game. He was hired to play his game. He says it's not perfect yet. Anyone can see that. But there's a lot right with the way that this team is playing right now. Okay? And in addition to Florentino, his midfield partner, Enzo, is maybe it's this is early, but it could be one of the best signings I have had in years. I'm already seeing people say, please don't sell him in January. Please don't sell him in January. Oh, please give us two seasons of Enzo Fernandez, please. And you're welcome. I told you this guy was good. This is the highest rated player on SofaScore in the entire Copa Libertadores. And what happens? Benfica Nation tunes into one match in which they're rooting against him, myself included, and says, ah, he can't be that good. Or they're mad because he wanted to play in Copa Libertadores. Are you kidding me? Like This is the first time. This is a precedent Benfica have set with South American players for years. Go back over a decade now. Hamidish finished the Copa Libertadores with Cruzeiro before he came to Benfica. Just in those days, the the, the Copa Libertadores concluded a little earlier in the year. But Again, I think that was a brilliant bit of, of business by Benfica. That's probably what won him in the end. The reason that Benfica won the bid for him may have been that little footnote that allows him to continue to play for River as long as they stayed in the Copa Libertadores. Um, So a lot of criticism of that, just like they criticized him going into the starting lineup, and then they watched him play. And whatever he said at the airport, whatever, that don't matter no more. People, we get way too emotional about things. We take things personal that are not personal. Listen, if a player is a good professional and he wants to use our club as a stepping stone, it's not ideal, but it doesn't mean we can't make the most of it. We've done it before. We've done it before, and we've had good years bringing in players like that, moving them on. This guy's special, okay? He's also in mid-season form, maybe even mid- to late-season form at the beginning of the season, but provided he stays out of Argentina's national team and I don't expect him to go to the World Cup. He'll get a real nice break in November and hopefully be fresh again by the time the second half of the season comes. If he keeps this up, he's our, he's the league's player of the year this year. There's no question about it if he keeps this up. Where does that leave Uli and Weigel now? On the outside looking in, kind of, huh? Uh, Uli and I love that player. Everybody knows it. I've also suggested that it may be time to sell that player. However... However, we don't have a replacement for him yet, so we can't sell him until someone else can fill in. Okay, um, him and him and Florentino are gonna be, you know, they're gonna be splitting that that position. Maybe Florentino will hold on to it. It seems like Florentino is more the skill set that Roger Schmidt is looking for. If not, Weigel would be there. Trust me, he's on a massive salary. Okay, he's a great professional. There's no reason Vigel is not playing other than the fact that Florentino is doing what the manager wants better than Ulian and Weigl is. That's the only reason. Now, we're not in, in these training sessions. I would love to be there. Let me tell you, <laughs> my perfect retirement, honestly, my perfect retirement would be to move, you know, to finish my last day of work in July and go to Portugal buy a place or rent a place, whatever, near Seychelles. I would be watching this team train any opportunity I get. Heck, I would try to get up. I'll get I'll get up on the roof of my house if I can get close enough so I can look inside with the binoculars. I would love to see inside this team as far as the training goes. Because clearly the guys that are playing are doing something right and the ones that aren't are just not doing it as well. Okay. I think we're going to see some changes on Tuesday. I do. Um, But I guess it's time to start talking about these two games now that we're a half hour into the show. Uh, Thank you for bearing with me through that, that rant. Uh, Let's, let's take a look. We'll start with today's game. First, the league opener home to a at the Stadio de luge. I believe the attendance was read off to be about 53,000 and some change. Still a lot of empty seats in my book, in my uh, opinion, but again, it's, kind of the nature of the beast with the red pass situation and um people i'm sorry guys but y'all pay less for that red pass than than you know than i paid to go to wrestling last week and i went to watch wrestling last week okay um and it wasn't a lot less than you pay for a red pass i pay for one night at a at an event at an event so the fact that the red pass is so affordable leaves people to stay home. I mean or not not share it. I mean there's rules and regulation as to what you can do with the red pass. But again, I see people leaving early. Like that that really pisses me off. There's no excuse for leaving early from a match. I can say I have never left a football match or a basketball game or a wrestling <laughs> a wrestling event or an MMA event or a baseball game, whatever. I've never left early. I I don't get it. I paid to come to the game. I'm going to get every minute inside that stadium. I can. And um, as if you watch my upcoming film, you'll see when I was in Philadelphia, I stayed in that. I was one of the last people out of that stadium. They actually had to tell me I had to go because I can, you're not going to beat traffic. That's, that's a joke. That's something people believe in that, that like Santa Claus doesn't exist and um well you can either wait in your car or you can wait in the stadium you can take a walk and take the long way to your car by the time you get there you have a way out um for me there is no excuse to leaving early on a friday night no less there's no reason for leaving early i guess people just can't break this habit you can see it you see the people walking up the stairs where are you going game's not over team's playing well how do you leave without applauding the fa- uh, applauding the players? I don't get it. Now I know some people. I get that some people do drive from from the north and from the south, and they have three four hour drives to get home. I get that. Okay, it's in that very same situation last weekend. I damn am not leaving that stadium early. I I just can't I can't relate to that that thought. Unless I don't know if you're, maybe you're trying to make a wedding. I, I I guess I could really you know one if you're trying to make it to an event and you still went to the game anyway. I get it there. That's about the only time I get it, or of course, or of course, uh, an emergency. You know, an emergency pops up at home. But let's go with the lineups today. Okay, we'll start with the visitors. We'll start with Armando Evangelistas, uh, a side. They have in goal d Arubarena. Arubarena is his name. He is Uruguayan, 25 years old. Lucky to have stayed on the pitch, thanks to an offside call. Um, the referee uh, Manuel Mata is going to come into the into the chat today too. I think, or into the into the fray in this in this conversation today. But um, here's the rest of Arrocas' uh, 4-3-3 across the back. Uh, Good friend of the show, to an extent. Uh, uh, a Facebook friend of mine who I've had conversations in the past. Tiago guy is in at right back. Uh, the former Braga, former Bisad, former caldas former Toucheas player. Um, and you see the connection I have with the player, because he's played at my local club. Um, he, he gets the start for roca today at right back. João Basu and Opoku are the center backs with... The left back being the Brazilian Quaresma, um, who did see red in this one. He he took an early shower. Yao Busquets, not that Busquets, and Ruiz, yes, that Ruiz, the former Sporting player. I'm talking, of course, about Alan Ruiz, the the Argentine former Sporting player, uh, playing behind three forwards: Antony, Mujuka, and Arsenio. Benfica. Come out in their 4-2, 3-1, at least on paper. It's a much again, it's a much more dynamic uh system than that, but that's what it looks like on paper. Odis in goal. Uh Gilberto is the wing back on the right. Otamendi and Moratu in the center with Grimaldo on the left. The true double pivot in midfield. Okay. It's a true double pivot. Again, not a six and an eight, like a lot of people want to believe it is. Florentino Luiz and Enzo Fernandez, our newest South American star. And again, talk about no need to adapt. I mean, he walked right into this team and he fit like a glove. Um, they they play behind the three attacking midfielders, João Mário, uh, David Neres, and Rafa Silva behind the striker, Gonzalo Ramos, who has adapted well. Playing as a lone striker, I you know all the minutes he played in that pseudo number ten role last season, um, he he uh, he grew fond of the penalty area again. I think um, he's doing well this season. I mean, today was not his most convincing game. I know, um, I know. Goal point has him rated as low as they've had him in a long, long time. Uh, he had very few touches. In the game today. But he still does things off the ball that are good. I personally in that position. I feel a little better about Enrique in, um, in Araujo. I think he's more of a box presence. But uh, the problem we're going to have this season. And again I got to give a shout to the, the boys at Bayfique Independent. They always get it right. I mean they really no matter who they throw on their show. The analysis is top-notch. It's, it's second to none. It really is, and it's not to insult anybody else, but I think they, they go into depth better than anybody else. And what they said is you're going to run into the the issue here with Hamush and with Arushu is that each one is going to take time from the other this season, which is a you can look at it two ways. You can look at it that way. Or you look at the positive that each one, at least one of them, is going to play a lot, I think. You'll almost always have at least one of them on the pitch. Um, right now the hot, the hot hand belongs to, to Gonzalo Ramos and he's being used by the manager and I hope it's not to put him in a shop window. Um, I don't want to see any other players leave other than, than, you know, the guys that aren't dressing. Um, one of them specifically, I want to see leave and I want, I can't wait to see that headline in a ball. I may frame that thing when he's gone, but, um, (laughs) other than that, you know. I would like to see this team kept intact as much as possible. And if you're going to add to it, it has to be very, very good pieces. No more projects. No more, uh, maybe this guy will be good. Maybe this guy will fit. Oh, this is a good bargain. I don't want any of that. If someone's coming in, it's going to be someone who is going to contribute immediately. Okay? And and everybody's hammering on Shikinu because he came in. Shikinu's there because... PZ is not. And because Ricardo Orta didn't happen. Okay. Chiquinho is there. Chiquinho is perfectly fine to be used in a match like Tuesdays. If João Mario can't go. Of course, if you believe João Mario can't play at this level, then, then you're not going to believe anyone else can. Uh, that, that's on this roster in that position. And you want to buy half a new team. Well, guess what? We're into the season now. And I wouldn't do that. That's just my, my look at it. it, it again, if the, Correct players that fit are available. That's a big if. That's fine. But what everyone is forgetting, what everyone either doesn't believe is possible or is forgetting is possible, is that each one of these players has the potential to grow under this manager. Again, Florentino comes from, from obscurity. Loan after failed loan after failed loan after failed loan to being one of Schmidt's go to 11 guys right now. Okay. One of his go to guys right now. He has taken this opportunity. He's blocked out the noise from people who say he he shouldn't be there. And he just plays his game each and every time he takes the pitch and each and every time he takes the pitch, he's a little bit better than the time before. Now, again, this attitude that so many of us have that this guy we look at a name or we look at an incomplete body of work or we look at past seasons and we say this guy can't play for benfica meanwhile for years our rivals go and get signed players that we laugh at like like an otavio who i cannot stand okay and when they signed him i laughed like many of us laughed what's this guy going to do and they grow into the exact player that that team needs. Okay. We look at the at the at the players within the league that our rivals go and cherry pick and get, and they always work. And we would discount every single one of them if it was our club to sign them. We need to break through these toxic mentalities. These almost idolatry we have of what a Benfica player is. Okay. And we need to be open to the fact that we have a manager who does things differently and who's looking for different things than you and I are looking for in players. We're going to consider mm. we're going to concede goals. I have come to accept that we're going to concede goals. You're not going to hear me. Come on here. Week after week and say we can't keep conceding goals because I know we're going to play a certain way and I'm not the manager. Okay, and I know that this manager has his way. And he if he was brought here to, to manage this team, it was to manage it his way, not the way the last guy or the guy before that or the guy before that or the guy before that did it, okay? Because if that worked, we wouldn't have needed to go get a German manager. We need to let the man work. We need to see the body of work in the players and in the growth of the players, Okay. We need to see it, okay? You also have to trust this manager to be able to make adjustments. Now, one adjustment I'm seeing, okay, Enzo Fernandez is playing a different role than he played at River Plate, okay? He's much more of an, quote-unquote, eight, what everyone wants to see. And, And what we've said for years, we need an eight, we need an eight, we need an eight. He's not playing as an eight here, okay? And here's why he's not playing as an eight. Because in a player on form right now, and this is I'm using the condition when in form, Rafa Silva is playing as an eight and a ten. He's doing both jobs. He is setting up in and around the area. Okay, he's making runs to open space for other for, for forwards. Okay, he's taking defenders away. He's also Instrumental in our transition game. Watch how many times Rafa Silva comes back. And it's usually Enzo who finds him, or it's Florentino who finds him. Okay, Rafa gets to when we're under the most pressure, we find Rafa, he turns into space, and with his pace, he takes off. That is an eight. That is what you want from an eight. He does that. And then gets up front and places a 10 when needed. And guess what? He also can finish it when he gets in the area. I mean, this is why Enzo is playing a double pivot with Florentino. Because Roger Schmidt has learned that he has a player in Rafa here that does things nobody else can do. So the rigidity of a system manager where everyone is like robotic and has to fit into into their roles. And we had one of those last year. Let's be honest. Um, very rigid. Okay. And that's why it didn't work out for him. He could not adapt to the players he had. And then he went and got players that did not adapt to him. It was a double disaster. Here we have Roger Schmidt recognizing quickly that he has a game changer in Rafa Silva. Okay. He has a game changer in Rafa Silva. He has a game changer in, Enzo Fernandez but he does not need Enzo Fernandez to cover the same type of real estate that he was covering at at River Plate okay because he he's still going to um he's still going to come forward he's still going to arrive in the in in dangerous places the difference is now Enzo does not have to do this so much okay and when Benfica playing a high line like they are and successfully keeping the game in the middle and attacking thirds OK, that's less running backwards that the Enzos have to do. That's less exploitation on the lack of pace on Florentino. Florentino is, and I think why he's excelling in this system is because what Florentino does better than Weigel. OK? And I really only think it's one thing, that he does a lot better than him. But it's it's clearly what the manager's looking for is... He has a vision, and he anticipates. And I'm talking about when – and this is important in a pressing game, and I think Vidal lacks this in the press, and this is why Florentino's getting a lot of the burn right now, okay, is because his anticipation when he steps is very good. He does not have the pace to be able to afford to be wrong. He knows that. But he also knows how to how to commit a foul if he's beat. Okay. He doesn't leave his team too too out of position. It happened once against Michelin. But Florentino steps into spaces, reads the game better than Weigel, from what I'm seeing. Okay. His vision is very good, and he's he's a step ahead in the anticipating portion of the press. And then what you have is he's working, he's got an unbelievable chemistry with Enzo. And that, to me, is the main reason Weigel is on the outside looking in right now. However, Roger Schmidt has said that he's not the manager that takes an 11, and they play every week, and I agree. I I believe that. Every match calls for different things, and players are going to have different needs as the season goes on. Players are going to wear. Players are going to tire. Okay? Form is going to dip. Okay? We're not going to be scoring four goals a game forever. I hope we do, but it's it's not realistic, okay? He's going to have to make adjustments. Now, I trust him to make those adjustments. And if Florentino starts to struggle, and if Vigel is still here, it's an easy switch. And now you put Weigel with Enzo. And I think if you see that, is going to play a more positional game, and you're going to see Enzo start to get forward more, but I really think that will that could be counterproductive because I think he could start making runs into Rafa's spaces, which pushes Rafa into someone else's spaces, and now you've lost a lot of that fluidity and a lot of that good movement we've got going on right now. But that, that's, that's what I'm reading right now when I've seen – and I've seen four games now in full. That's what I'm reading when I see these games and when I see the, the movements especially. Um, But again, we come into this match today, and as we have all through preseason and through these first two, we get on the board early, all right? A good cross from Grimaldo, right at the edge of the, right as it's coming to the end line. And it's just over Gonzalo Ramos' head, but right onto the run of Gilberto. La Gilberto, la Gilberto, la, 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 la. You could hear it. I was singing it as soon as that ball went into the goal. Befica take the lead in the eighth minute. Gilberto Carlos, as we call him, gets forward, gets a header, and I don't know if anybody oozes Befica's move like this guy. Uh, He's just been fantastic. And Befica, you know, as we have, get an early lead. It's so important with this system of play. When you're applying pressure, you want to have a lead. You don't want to be chasing the game because then you're leaving yourself exposed. And then everyone, you know, every single internet Guardiola is going to say that, oh, it's because we have weak outside backs. No, it's be- we have outside backs that are expected to do certain things. And not necessarily what we think that those things are. Um but getting the lead is, is always crucial. And my real my biggest concern and my fear is when we don't get that early lead. I know the, the friendly with Herona out in Switzerland kind of fell to that reality. And the second string squad managed to get some goals after falling behind, if I'm not mistaken, and ended up winning, you know, pretty comfortably. But um, that's really what I'm concerned about right now is what's going to happen when we do not go ahead early in, in a match. How do we adjust when we can't just because eventually also the pressing teams are just going to lob it over us and we're going to have to build out of the back. That's going to happen. Now, there's some simple adjustments you can make in a game like those. Now, one of those is bringing Vigel in. As soon as you see that that's where the game is going, he can come in and he can connect some passes with Enzo perhaps and play a more a more uh, build up style of game. But if we can continue to get ahead, I mean this this team can can absolutely fly in confidence. And um, you know, as far as the league goes, there's very little that there's very little teams can do against us if we're we're flying the way we are you know, the way we have been. Um, the mat, What's going to happen, the real test is going to be when the goals stop going in, um, when they stop falling, you know, because we will go into a slump. Every team does it. We will go into a slump and we will struggle for sometimes. And um, do we have players special enough to make the difference? We keep a healthy, motivated Rafa? I say yes. A healthy, motivated Enzo? Yes. And I mean, I think between uh, Gonzalo and Enrique Araujo and Chuk, I think we've got three very different style of strikers. And I think the manager has the ability to recognize on any given day which style is what the game is going to call for. And that's why you want to have some depth. Now, I've seen everyone talk about a lack of depth, but the lack of depth is in certain places, okay? And... Well, I know everyone grimaces seeing Chiquinho take take the pitch. Moral of the story is he's done something again to win over the manager enough to be used in this role. I don't think a 34th minute injury to João Mario is the place to bring in a, another academy kid to the, you know, uh, definitely not a Diego Moreira in that position, although he probably could do it. Um, the pressure is high. Maybe, maybe he would have shined under it. I don't know, but um, I can see why that wasn't the selection. Certainly not a, you know. And I don't, I don't even remember who was on the substitutes bench. Let me take a look at the substitutes bench, and I'll tell you who who was on it and who may or may not have come on. Let's see. Benfica on the bench had Shikinu, Ba, Weigel, Yaremchuk, Araujo, Elton. Um, Bertongan, Silva, and Musa. So, yeah, Bernardo's not there. Paul Bernardo, um, Diego, uh, Diego Moreira's not there. Okay. So, again, who else are you going to put in? Okay. Now, you can criticize the board all you want because they haven't gone to get, but we uh, a lot of times have this belief that just because a player is somewhere else. When he gets brought in, he's automatically better than a Chiquinho or better than, you know, better than a, well, there's nobody else on the bench, really, that can play that position. Um, So, I mean, it was a no-brainer. If you were surprised by by that substitution, I don't think you've been paying too much attention. And I just ran down the substitutes list, and there's really no other option, so... Uh, Chiquinho comes in in the 34th. He replaces João Mario. And just a few minutes later, Rafa gets on the board. Um, he almost gets his own assist in a way. (laughs) If this were ice hockey and you give a second assist, he would have had (laughs) a goal and a second assist. I know that's not how they get issued, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, he beats the defender down the left center channel, gains the end line, crosses it. Okay, but the cross takes a deflection, pops up high. Gonzalo Ramos gets up higher than everyone else, heads it, beats the goalkeeper with his header. However, the header lands squarely on the crossbar, falls right in front of Rafa, bounces up perfectly to his head level. He doesn't have to do anything but gently uh, head the ball into the open net. 2-0 to Benfica. Rafa gets his first of the season, and again, I am shocked he is still here. I thought for certain the way it ended last season he was going to be the first one out. I am so glad I was wrong. And one thing you can definitely say is Rafa Silva is loving his football again. His friends are gone. <laughs> okay, well, Andre Almeida still lingering around but but not not on the bench, not, you know, not uh dressing for matches, but PZ has gone. And PZ had some interesting comments, I have to say. He spoke to... Uh, I forget who he spoke to. It was it Canal Lones? One of them. And if you haven't, uh, seek it out. You, uh, see Pizzi's, Pizzi's words as he leaves Benfica. Um, that, that's a topic for a whole other day. But anyway, uh, Rafa is loving his football again. I think he loves playing for this manager, obviously. He's super motivated. Um, maybe he maybe one night in the middle of, uh, of the night sleeping. He had a dream. He went to the world cup because if he plays like this for the next two months, he's going to go to the world cup. There's no question about it. And I don't think he's ever been to a world cup. Uh, he might've gone actually in 2018, but um, he, he showed in the last year that when, when he's on form, he he can make a big difference. Even in that national team, he can do things no one else on the team can do. Today, he gets on the score sheet with the header, and then he scores another one late. Um, Befica would get a third still in the first half, and it would be Enzo Fernandez and the 45th plus five, if my, uh, my memory serves me correct. And this looked like a Super Mario Brothers, like Fireball. Or like the star. You know when you play Super Mario and you, you get the star and you start to blink and you go through everything? This ball literally was blinking and went through everybody. I think it burned a hole in the middle of the Roca goalkeeper and it went through everything into the back of the night. An absolute rocket from the Argentine. Enzo Fernandez. And Enzo has already won over many of the Mepiquiches despite the first impression, which was less than uh, ideal when he talked about if he could be in a stepping stone to go to a bigger club. Um, fans didn't like that, but I said this in private conversations with people wait until he wait until he plays. I've seen him and um, the difference. Okay. Is Argentine football, as opposed to Brazilian football is a lot more compatible with our Portuguese league. Okay. The Argentine league in the style is very compatible to the Portuguese league. Top Argentine league players for the last 10, 15, 20 years, I would say, have adapted better to Portugal than Brazilian players. It's not just, it's more than a language barrier, okay? Um, The Brazilian player, as we saw with Everton Sibolinha, has a hard time, the average Brazilian player. We don't very r- regularly go purchase expensive Brazilian players from Brazilian clubs because they now demand a high wage and a high fee. Okay. There's no more the idea of going to Brazil and to get getting a, you know, uh, a Moser. I'm going way back with this with a Moser or a, uh, you know, a Aldair or, <laughs> and I'll keep going further back and back, but even a Hamidish. Or a an year I don't know. The idea of going to Brazil, and we didn't get Izayish from Brazil, but Izayish came to Benfica from, I believe, Boavista. But my point is, um, going to Brazil and just handpicking out a player and paying peanuts for him and bringing him to to Portugal, and so that's not happening anymore. Brazilian clubs have a lot more money than they used to. They run better. They're financed better. They have better TV uh, money. The Copa Libertadores is a much more visible product today and injects more cash into these teams. It's not as easy to compete in that market anymore for a club the dimension of Benfica's. However, in the Argentine League, I think those players have the skill sets more suitable for our league i'm not saying there isn't good brazilian players what i'm saying is they will need more adaptation time than an argentine on average i believe now david nesh has played in the netherlands he's played in the ukraine so this guy is well equipped and well familiar very familiar with european football and you've seen him fit in just perfectly um in this benfica team you know unlike everton for example or unlike Pedrinho, who also had a horrible time. And unfortunately Benfica has shown that they don't have the patience for these guys. And when you pay they overpay for them in the first place, which which already which already drains your patience. And then they don't materialize. Um, but Enzo seems to be a good a good purchase. I mean, what they spent on him. It's a whole bunch of incentives, but I think it's a very good, very reasonable uh, deal that they made. And, um, again, I believe that Benfica allowing him to see out the Copa Libertadores run was the, was the difference. I would believe when we're up there competing with Wolves and competing with AC Milan for a player, if it's purely money – those those teams are going to beat us. There's no question. My guess is the difference was those teams were not willing to wait for him to finish the Copa Libertadores. And Benfica rolled the dice and said, we'll wait. We'll wait. If the, and I think that that was the, the game changer. I think that's why Benfica got him. I do. I, I totally believe that. Okay. Um, did he say the right things after? No. But who cares? I want him to play football. I don't want him to be a public speaker. Okay. So I'm, I don't judge my footballers on their public speaking or what they say or don't say. I mean, we live in a world right now that is just so hypercritical on every word that comes out of everyone's mouth as if nobody's ever misspoke before. Never mind the fact that there's a, there's a you know, a, a factor of, of a language barrier and things being lost in transi- in translation. That said... What a purchase for Mayfika. That is Enzo Fernandez, of course. And he gets the third goal as Mayfika go into the locker room. And they go in up a man. I'm going to talk about this for a minute. For me, and for a lot of you, to be honest, I talked to a lot of you guys today. Um, if I didn't talk to you, I read what you were saying. This was over use of VAR, in my opinion. Quaresma, um, the left back, is sent off for taking Rafa down. Um I I think the referee got it right the first time around. And I this is infuriating to me because I know and you know if that team's wearing blue and white stripes instead of yellow jerseys, there ain't no way that their number 3 for example is going off on a play like that. Be lucky if you get a yellow. Okay, we know for a fact that that team, that the VAR would never overturn a yellow card that would become a red card for that team so doing it today in this game when I don't even think it called for it it's more infuriating than anything else I see some people say at least we got the call yeah that's because if the game was the game was kind of in the bag it was 3-0 I mean maybe it was 2-0 at the time doesn't matter um it was just ridiculous Uh, ridiculous to me that that even got reviewed with everything that does not get reviewed in the course of a match. Okay. Everything that does not get reviewed, you're going to review that. Okay. Now I get why he was sent off, but I think that is a, a misinterpretation. Okay. Again, VAR is only supposed to be used to correct a clear and obvious mistake. For that to have been a clear and obvious mistake, the VAR had to have concurred or concluded that Rafa was in a clear and obvious goal-scoring opportunity. Cogso. The moment Rafa slows down his dribble and cuts centrally. He's no longer in a clo- in a in a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity because the support is running right behind Quaresma to get in the space. I'm not going to be one of these people that when a, a horrible call is to the to the favor of my team I'm going to pretend that that's okay. If this was against a certain other club I would be celebrating. hell yeah I'd say you deserve it but I would still say it's the wrong call. That's the difference. Because if they did have blue and white stripes and this happened, I would say they deserve it. And they deserve about 40 more years of it before I will give a damn how many times they've been screwed. And even then, I'm not going to give a damn. They could get relegated to the Stritage for all I care. I will not ever feel any pity or any sympathy for them. Now, here, totally, again... I didn't see anything clear and obvious about the scoring opportunity outside the penalty area when the player is cutting back towards the center where the defender's help was. I thought the referee got it right on the first time with the yellow card. Problem is with these referees, a lot of times, if they get called to the monitor, they've already got it in their head that they made a mistake. They're going to see it, and they're going to reverse it, no matter how minuscule it is. It's very rare for referees to go to the monitor and uphold their original decision. But what this does do, and I think this is this is what's infuriating, is it already sets the narrative for the other clubs to say, Benfica have got it this year. They're, they've bought the refs. Look at this. Here's the VAR. Meanwhile, I know that Teremi's doing backflips in his pool tonight, getting ready to getting ready to, you know, as soon as he gets in that penalty area tomorrow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, trust me, trust me. VAR will help Porto a lot more than it helps us all season. And I know Taremi's. it's been a while since Taremi's, you know, gone headfirst into the desert pool, but even in the desert, he finds water and I'm sure he'll find water tomorrow. Um, But the narrative's already been set that Benfica are getting the assistance that this is, uh, you know, this is referees already on our side. Most ridiculous BS there is. Almost as BS as the words that come out of their president's mouth, which I don't even want to get into. But here he goes again with the centralismo. centralismo, uh, The Portugal is an overly centralist. Okay, I'm just going to say this. Okay, this guy's got a bad case of He reminds me of a certain American leader who also up here no longer has anything in there. And when he talks it and it doesn't even make sense. And he thinks it's 1942. Pinto da Costa thinks it's literally 1890. (laughs) He thinks, you know, Portugal's headed to civil war again and it's North versus South. And he believes that centralism, I think he probably still thinks there's a monarch in Lisbon. I wouldn't be surprised the way he talks about it. However, what he wants is not to eliminate centralismo, centralism. He wants it to be in Porto. He wants he wants to be the center of the universe. And if you look at a map of the Portuguese league, look how many teams orbit around his, his universe. Take a look at it. Look at where teams are located. And then come talk to me about, about centralism in the capital, where there's three teams. Three teams. One was promoted this year. Get out of here, honestly. Anyway, back to the action today. So those were the 3 in the second half, but you know, the 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 rhythm and the the pace slows obviously. They are still early in the season and it's not going to be easy to go at that pace all the time plus there is in a congested fixture list like this one there is something to be said about managing results. When you have a 3 goal lead, it's a good time to manage results, conserve yourself for the next match that's 72 hours away. Especially with some injuries, you know, in there. Uh we saw Veigel come in for for uh for Florentino in the 62nd. Also, we saw a couple other switches here in the 62nd. Let's see here. I'm gonna pull them back up. And um we saw here 62nd, we saw Yeah, so Vigel, 63rd. Vigel and Bach come on for Tino and for Gilberto. Ten minutes later, uh, Chuk comes on for Gonzalo and en- Enrique Araujo comes on for Nerish. Although Enrique goes into Gonzalo's spot and, and Roman plays almost like it. It goes more into a four-four-two when we substitute. And I think that makes sense, to be honest. Vigel, pl- Vigel now playing more of a... Of a tr- trad- semi traditional holding mid, if you will. he still lines up side to side with Enzo, but I think Enzo does more of the forward running at this point, um, and less side to side running with Weigel kind of covering in behind. And then uh, you got Chuck and you've got Enrique by them, you know, together up front, and they combine pretty well. I know there were, there were moments, you know, Chuck, he put some really good set set uh, setup plays out there, not really getting all of the credit he deserves i think he's had a pretty good preseason he's not necessarily scoring goals but he's doing a lot in and around the goals and uh let's just remember what last season was for him what he experienced what he's still experiencing every day as a professional footballer while his country you know is being torn to pieces by war regardless of how you feel about you know that war or about You can relate to the human side where this guy's trying to make a living as a footballer while, you know, I'm assuming, you know, plenty of his family members are fighting for survival each and every day. Never knowing, you know, when that every time that phone rings, I can imagine the things that go through his head and then we expect him to play football at a high level and to be, you know, to be able to just play through everything like he's a machine. And, you know, it's it's uh. It's a little bit, it's a little bit <laughs> almost uh, distasteful, if you ask me, some of the treatment he's getting. But I think he's coming along, and I think he he will, as the season goes on, get better and better. He's getting more acquaint- acquainted with his teammates. A number of them are, are considerably younger than him now. Um, but, you know, I think he's getting more acquainted. He's, he's learning the movements of these younger kids, and I think he's learning the manager's philosophy and methodologies fairly quickly. And clearly, I think the fact that the team's being coached in English is probably a a benefit to, to a player like Adam Chuk. Um, The day-to-day, you know, vernacular language in this team is English. Um, if you saw today, there was one point. Uh, it was when Dromadi went down. Javi Garcia got up and had to translate Lorenzo as he was talking to uh, to Roger Schmidt, so that tells me how, how well Harvey Garcia played for Manchester City. So you you would think that his English is fairly good, especially if he was put in this role to kind of be the kind of be the the local guy, if you will, for uh, for uh, Roger Schmidt. But again, he's also the Spanish speaking member of of the coaching staff, so he speaks to the South Americans, I'm sure, and translates for them. Um, we saw Luis Ongo in the book today with the yellow card, as we did an assistant from Marroca. No idea what that was about. Um, referees always known for having very good hearing, very good selective hearing. Um, so we saw those substitutes come on. We, we saw the fourth goal in the late stages of the game. Again, a nice cross from Ba. I think Ba over time is probably going to displace... Gilberto a bit, like I said in the open there. Um, but I think Gilberto is going to continue to work and push it, and he'll understand at that moment that his job is to work and to, to get better and better and to make his teammate better and better if he wants to keep playing. And you need players like that. I will take a Gilberto-like player, like I said, one in each position, just to keep everybody honest, keep everybody working. Um, it, it just... uh. Not a great game. The best part about this is there's still so much we can improve on, but we're scoring goals, which is exciting, and it gives players it gives players confidence when they score this much. Okay, game after game, four, five goals. It, it, it's fantastic. It's not going to continue, you know, not endlessly. But if we can keep it up on Tuesday, and then next Saturday against Casapia, put another three or four out there. We'll be rolling, you know, when we get to the international stoppage. I think there's an international break coming up um, in the next month or so. If we can keep this until then, I'm going to be very happy, be very confident um, in this team because playing like this, we, we are definitely contenders. It's not going to be this easy. It's not going to go this well every time. I understand that. And I understand a lot of you don't have the same faith in, in these players that, that maybe I'm showing right now. Um where where my faith is, it, it, it's in the manager. And if he's a new manager, I have full confidence in him to do his job, and we need to let the man work. But that also comes from my background as a coach, knowing when new managers come in, even for assistants that stick around, there's an adjustment. I, I've been in it where the head man has changed, and the rest of us have stayed, and there was a huge learning curve for all of us. Um, so I think the players are going to continue to, to – to, Climb. They're going to continue to improve under Roger Schmidt if these first, you know, 180 official minutes are anything to, to, uh, you know, to judge by. Yeah, it, it could have been better. I admit some of the preseason games were a little bit better, a little bit more, um, a little cleaner. It's gotten a little, a little tiny bit sloppy at times, but I think that the team is doing well. Let's quickly go to uh, Tuesday's matchup home against michelin last tuesday of course that is um before we go let's take a look at it and um again you see my name there on the screen if you're watching if you're listening on the podcast you know that i'm at mike Agostinho. that's at m-i-k-e-a-g-o-s-t-i-n-h-o follow me on twitter and also follow the show on twitter at bankfica mr and on instagram at mr bankfica i'm gonna try to Keep those uh, social media outlets going this season. Um, I know every season I go dark for a while. Uh, things in real life sometimes uh, get get to be a lot, and I have to take a step back from the pod. But I'm gonna try to keep regular content this season. I really want to keep the regularity going, and I want to have. I still c- can't decide on a day to have, you know, every episode. Um, Try to go after every match, but that's not always doable. So we'll continue to kind of try to figure it out together here. <laughs> so we'll go back to Tuesday, August the 2nd Stadio de Luz, Manfica and Michelin, the Danish runner up uh, from last season. Let's look at their lineup for their, their manager, Henrik Jensen. Uh, the goalkeeper was Elias Olofsson, the Iceland international. 3 4 3 is their formation. Dalsgaard is the left center man left center back. Siviachenko is the deep lying center back. Wearing the captain's armband, and Juninho, the left center back. Anderson, Sorensen, Charles, and Deer are the four in midfield behind the three attackers: Sisto, Kaba, and Dreyer. I'd be lying if I said I knew anything about this team coming into this match. I had no idea. I know that they had a, a decent run in Europe last year. I think they played Braga in the Europa League and uh, may have even beaten them, if I'm not mistaken. But I couldn't tell you anything about this team before this match. So I went in with this just really focusing on Benfica and seeing what, you know, what the team was going to do in the first official match, if, if all these friendlies were something or if they were this was something that was going to continue into these official matches. Um, again, Odie in goal, um, Gilberto, Otamendi, Morato, Grimaldo, Enzo, uh, Tino, Nerish, João Mário, and Rafa behind the striker. Gonçal Ramush. and what a night it was for Gonçal Ramush. He, uh, ends up the man of the match for obvious reasons. Picks up a hat trick in this one. And again, just like I said about the league opener, if you could get on the board in the 17th minute. And they take the lead early, big big advantage. Once this team can do that, because of the way they play, it is so important to get ahead early. Um, it's it, you know, Gonzalo gets on the end of a header in the 17th minute. He scores again in the 33rd, and again in the 61st, and in between that, Enzo with a bomb in the 40th. I mean, and this was another assist from you guessed it, João Romario João has four assists. Counting preseason and, and official matches off of corner kicks this season, I think that's more than we had all season last year. I don't think we scored four goals on set pieces all last season, at least not on, um, you know, corners or, or set pieces that that you know call for a cross. Um, the ball comes out and Enzo. So it, it was it was shades of Nemanja. Nemanja Matic years ago against Porto same exact sidewinder and he just buried it very healthy crowd at the luge on Tuesday night with a heavy influx influx of course of you know expats or immigrants whatever you want to call us (laughs) people who are on you know people of Portuguese descent who don't live in Portugal anymore may not even have been born there who go back all the time I haven't been back in over 10 years but um that's that's a topic for another day. But uh, a lot of people still do go every year. And 53,346 were in the house that night um, to watch this 4-1, you know, semi-comfortable win. Uh, the only thing uncomfortable about, and again, I, I harp on this, but another clean sheet lost on a kind of bogus penalty call. Um, but all in all, I don't think we can ask more of Odie right now. I know nobody's happy with him as the goalkeeper, but you look around the Portuguese league and you look around the teams at our level, the teams that are fighting to get into the champions league. I know once, you know, assuming and hoping we get there, once we're in a group, there'll be goalkeepers better than him, but we're going to play very few matches this season where the opposing goalkeeper is going to be better than Odie. Okay. He's not my first pick either. I totally get it especially with this style, with a team that likes to press this high, a goalkeeper that's good with his feet is even more important. And that's when I start to give it more importance. I don't always give it as much importance as other people do because their primary job is still to keep the ball out of the goal. But, you know, with, with uh, the way we play and with the high line, we, we, we like to have, it's important to have, you know, a goalkeeper, that can come out. We don't have that right now, but we still got two that are even, uh, even Elton late is better than the majority of the goalkeepers. We're going to see this season. Okay. I know he's neither one of them is my pick. Neither one of them are probably your pick. Okay. Everybody wants to see a new goalie. I get it, but it's not that it's not the emergency that we think it is. Okay. If this team plays the way they're playing and they do their job, It's not going to be because of the goalkeeper that we don't win the league this year or that we don't get back to the round of 16 or the quarterfinals of the Champions League or to the group stage or whatever. Okay. If the team does their job one through 11, it will not be because of the goalkeeper. Yes. If we're playing, if we're playing Manchester city, the goalkeeper becomes very important, but how many teams in the world are going to take on Manchester city and not It'd be overmatched at just about every position, including goalkeeper. So um, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it right now. Again, I don't want to just go spend for a goalie that might be better than him. If we're going to spend the money, he, he needs to be the goalie that comes in and plays on day one. And he needs to be able to play high off his line. Um, and he needs to be able to almost sweeper keeper, you know, is what we need in this, in this formation, in this system. But I also think, you know, in closing this week, um, I think what you're going to see throughout the course of the next 12 months, if everything goes right, okay, or if most things go right, you will see, I think this, this could be a little controversial because I think people are very high on Morato and they want to see him really, really become uh, a key guy. But I think he's only holding a place right now. I think once Lucas Verissimo is healthy, and it could be quite a bit of time before he's healthy, he will eventually move into that spot. But before then, you could going to get several months of Muratu getting imp- uh, important experience. However, I think, and I'm going to say this on this microphone, on this recording, kind of for fun, because one year from today, I want to remember I said this, and I want to listen to this episode and see if I was right or not. But on week one... Of the 2023 2024 season, one year from now, roughly, I think Lucas Verissimo and João Victor will be the center back pairing for Bayfica. And I think they're going to be the center back pairing for quite a while for Bayfica. I think those are two center backs that Bayfica will plant there. And I think they're going to play there for several, for a couple of seasons at very least together. I think you're going to see that become the Luizzo and Garay or the or the Garay and uh, David Luiz, Luizzo and Jardel, you know, you, one of those partnerships that we've seen before. Um, I think that Verissimo and Lucas Verissimo and João Victor will probably become that if they get healthy. That's if they get healthy. If not, we've still got Ottomini and we've still got Morato and we've still got Super Yandertong as well. Um, although I don't see him staying past this season. Um, I'm hoping that we keep Otamendi around for the locker room portion. Granted, this is week one and I'm already talking about next season, which is kind of not not cool. So I'll drop that. But that's my prediction for this season. One of my predictions is you will see those two, if, if their recoveries go as expected, slowly and organically become the, the center back pairing. But I think we're in decent hands until then, okay? I really do think we're in decent hands until then. As long as this team can keep this up and as long as injuries don't cramp, or in, don't cramp in, as long as we don't get another COVID, you know, wave coming through the team and decimating 10, 12 players, I think that this team has everything it needs to be successful this season. Whether that's a championship or not, that's something we're going to have to fight for. But I think we're as well equipped for that as we have been for several years. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. All right. Uh, Again, Befica will take to the pitch Tuesday in Denmark second leg. It's my hope to be back here Tuesday night with you. I don't know. (laughs) Depends on what the work schedule is going to look like on Tuesday. Maybe it'll be Wednesday. I don't know. But um, I'm going to try to recap, you know, that match for you and get everybody ready for next weekend's sort of derby as we travel to Leiria to take on our neighbors Casa Pia, Uh, because Pia stadium right now not up to uh, not up to the requirements of the Liga Portugal, so um, they're working on that, and right now they're using Leiria as their home pitch. A chance for if he could fill another ground and to have an extra home game. The way I look at it, uh, so there's no no um, no downside in that. I don't think. Uh any questions, concerns, anything like that, shoot them at me at uh at Mr. on Twitter or I at Mr. Bafica on Instagram. I'll answer answer. Both of those, those are probably the easiest ways to get a hold of me. You can send it to me on my personal Instagram if you want, M Augustine 20 That's M-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O-20. Or you can find me on Facebook if you want, Mike Augustino. Um if you're not my friend already, you can go ahead. I think you can add me. I had put it on really private settings so that no one could find me. I think I took those off. If you can't find me, just search Mr. Benfica and message me there um, on Facebook if that's what you prefer to use. If not, uh, also don't forget to check out www.mrbenfica.com. I'm right now brainstorming some ideas as to how I can uh, improve that site a little bit, type of content to put on there um and of course again follow the PTB media networks youtube page okay all my work is going there now i'm not really using the mr Benfica youtube page anymore so uh please go over to the parking the bus or the ptb media networks youtube page um and and follow um i'll have an episode of parking the bus dropping on there um, shortly um scheduled to drop right after this one and um Coming soon is my my short video, on uh, on my weekend last weekend in Philadelphia. All right, that's gonna do it. We're uh, I'm out of out of topics to talk about. I've, I think I've said everything I need to say tonight. Uh, Bayfika obviously our top of the table. They're the only team with a win right now. Let's enjoy it. A four goal goal difference. Um, we'll see what our rivals do in the next two days, and. Uh, Get ready for next week. More football to watch. Thank you for joining. This has been episode 140 of Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike agustinho and I'm signing off. And I'll see you next time here on Mr. Benfica, part of the PTB Media Network. Mm-hmm.